Hey, y'all, it's Catherine, and you are about to hear from Shark Heart author Emily Habeck and, you know, Kate and I talking about what kind of animals we want to be. But listen, she read her query letter to get her agent before Shark Heart, and it is juicy and informative, and you can only get it if you're part of the Inky Phoenix. So if you want to support Free Cookies, we no longer have a Patreon, but you can come Join us at inkyphoenix.binderybooks.com. Pick a tier. You'll get bonus content from free cookies there. Inkyphoenix.binderybooks.com. It's what all the cool kids are doing. See you there. I'm Catherine Buter. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a podcast about books. And this is a podcast without a tagline. Is it? Yeah. A humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And that's why you should start with your Kate Fagan and then I'm Catherine Budig and then you can do that. But then but then we don't have this fun part every time. Of me forgetting it yeah. every single Welcome time. Welcome free cookies. That's right, y'all. We are back and we are really excited. We have a fabulous Wunderbar guest today. A what? Wunderbar. What's that mean? That's wonderful in German, darling. Oh. Oh, mein Herr. What, per- what percentage of listeners knew that? I don't know. If you like cabaret, Wilkamin, no? Well, Wilkamin is welcome, right? Yes. Okay, but you, I don't know about wonderful. It's wunderbar. Okay. I like it. Thanks. Oh, I mean, um, 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 danke. Danke, Shane. Well, yeah, I understand that, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our author is not German, so I'm not really sure why we had that segue, but we have Emily Habak, the author of Shark Heart, joining us today. Uh, that is the September pick for the Inky Phoenix Book Club. And she's starting to get some really awesome press around it. It's very yeah. exciting. Yeah, she's getting momentum. Oh, but at the top of the show, tell people about Inky Phoenix Press. Or maybe don't tell. I know we did that on episode one of the reboot, but In- Inky Phoenix Press. Inky please. Phoenix Press is officially out in the world. We had an awesome launch party. Uh, membership is growing. I... And you can be a part of it think i found the manuscript that we want to publish okay okay i'll, I'll do the i'll do this part here for five dollars a month you can help Catherine publish books at inky phoenix press or you could do twelve dollars a month or twenty five dollars a month and she believes she found the first manuscript she wants to publish and if you are a Me member too. then you will be able to be part of that entire yeah, process you'll be able to read some pages of it reading early <laughs> excerpts chapters meeting our author helping us build everything just cover art it it's so exciting there's a cool like discord chat room where everyone chats about books all the time i put up a question of the day who yeah. am i you fancy i'm fancy um so the the thing that i wanted to open the show with today the Shark Heart is a, a bit of a bizarre, gorgeous read is how I like to think about it. And it's the story of this couple, in particular, um, our protagonist, her husband, they live in a world where people get diagnosed with um, disease, for mutations. Lack, mutations, for lack of a better word, where they are slowly mutating into creatures or animals. And her husband gets the very rare diagnosis diagnoses is diagnosed (laughs) um, with morphine into a great white shark let me pretend to use the medical term for it oh do you remember no but it's but it's like carcinosis 
Cardonomani or something. Wow. It's like it's a very intense phrase. And now I feel like you I should. Smart. No, I don't. I sound less than smart because it's not that. <laughs> but this is a world where yes. these mutations are like medically understood and they know the process of yes. what will happen if you go through them. And it's just a very interesting. You can go in thinking that it's a big metaphor. You can go in and I guess read it literally. Yeah. If you want to. It's just written in this really propulsive kind of theatrical slash poetic style it's very hard to put down it's very emotional i cried twice mm -hmm. twice mm -hmm. i was expecting I thought about you to crying. cry you thought about crying thought but, but about the, the tracks the tracks yeah um but i not only do we highly recommend checking out this just totally innovative creative novel it has sparked some thoughts for us and i have occasionally stayed awake at night wondering if i had to morph into a creature slash animal what would it be? And what would it definitely not be? So, Kate Fagan. Oh, yeah. And if you could please open with the Latin term for which creature you would most not want to morph into. Okay. And, oh, I don't want to give anything away, but, like, one of the characters does morph into, like, a version of one uh, of this creature. But, like, I do not want to morph into any kind of um, snake lizard thing. Okay, tell me more. Um, <clears throat> because I think that humans are most, most percentage of humans, the largest percentage of humans are repulsed by scaly lizardy snake things. So but then like- about all the people who have pet snakes? Sure, I, like, I, that's why I said the largest percentage. I didn't say everybody. I'm gonna research this. Okay, I just think a lot of people don't like snakes okay. or, or scaly lizardy things. And so even in the process of morphing, some people do. Yeah. Not everybody. But I don't want to be morphing while I'm still accepted in the human world into something snake lizard like so you because you'd be rejected quicker. Rejected quicker. And then also those things don't have like a, a short life. So then mm -hmm. I am that creature for yeah. years and years and years, as opposed to if I'm morphing into like, you know, a bee or something like that. Like the, the, I could potentially be a snake for, I don't know how long snakes live, but I think some of them live like 10, 15, 20 years. Got it. So that's what I, and, and I don't like snaky, scaly creatures. So I don't, that's what I don't want. Think of the hugs you could give people. Okay. And what about you? And they like eight hugs at once. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like this is a little on the nose, but a freaking great white shark. Like, oh. I just can't, I have a fear of sharks. Like anyone who is raised in the era of Jaws, thank you so much for your work. Um, I just, A, I, I, I like to, I'm not like slovenly, but I like to rest and sharks can't stop moving. So that in itself really feels daunting to me that you have to like just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And I like the fact that, I don't know, I mean, I guess it would be nice to be an apex predator and not have to look over your shoulder all the time. However, have you been checking in on the orcas lately? Orcas be effing stuff up. I mean, they're like off the coast of Portugal and they're ramming into boats and they have a big plan. And that big plan probably includes eating the great white sharks. So if I turn into a great white shark, I'm just gonna become orca chow. Okay, I, mean, I don't wanna be... I don't want to be any kind of fish either, big or small, because I don't like fish. Again, kind of scaly, some of them. Yeah, you have, my... you have texture issues. 
yeah, and I also have always, always, always been scared of fish. Even if I jump in a lake and there's like Look a couple of fish right now. swimming around me, I just, I cannot. And if one of them touches me or something, I, 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 it's similar to the expression that you make on a trampoline, actually. <laughs> Fear. So, yes, I don't want to be a big or small thing in the ocean either. And just like the limitless of the ocean, mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't want to be inside of it. Also, that. think about all the teeth you'd have as a great white. You know how they have rows upon rows upon rows of teeth? Yeah, like you know Ragnar. This? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but he's got that one part where he's got the two rows. He does have a, he has a snaggle tooth. One, he has one baby tooth that's not come out yet. Yeah. Just, just like a shark. Just yeah. Like a shark. Just very similar to a shark. Um, so most, what would you be ideal animal slash I mean, creature? I feel like a lot of people would pick this, some version of this, but I would be like a bald eagle or some, some majestic bird mm-hmm. because of like, you want to fly. I want to fly. Okay. And you're kind of above everything. As opposed to like the experience of any kind of animal, like they're on the ground, and I've been on the ground. I know I, I kind of know what the ground life is like. Don't want the ocean life, no, 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 no. but the above life, I could I could do. And so, if I was going to morph into something, I'd want to at least be a bird that is highest or close to highest on the on the food chain, because I don't want to be a bird who has to like hide all the time and is going to be eaten within like three to five days of becoming a bird. Yeah. So that's what. And I feel like, again, a lot of people would want to be a bird for similar reasons. So are you saying you're basic? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. In, <laughs> in this ridiculous ma- magical well, realism conversation. Okay. Yes. You really teed me up for what I want to be because I want to fly too, but I want to be a sugar glider. Oh, yeah. You wanted one of those once. Sugar gliders are so cool. There are these little, like, it's not a flying squirrel. It's oh my better God. than a you flying You are obsessed squirrel. with sugar gliders. I feel like it was like two months ago you brought out videos of sugar gliders and you like yeah. legitimately almost got a sugar glider I once. did. I went through a phase when I was in my 20s where I really thought about getting a sugar glider because A, they're like, wow, I'm not cute. I just got these little eyeballs that are all like bloop, 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 super big. And you hold them and they love you. Like they bond with their owners. So that was part of the reason why I didn't get one. Because, well, A, they're nocturnal, which I don't really relate to that. I like to be in bed by nine. Um, but they are so bonded to their owners that what they recommend is that you get two sugar gliders so that they can bond with each other because they go into a deep, dark depression when they're not with you or their other sugar glider. And so what the owners would get is they got little pouches and they often put them like under their clothing. And so the sugar glider can be in the pouch. Can you imagine having your like I would love to put Ragnar in a pouch. Yeah, I would love to put Ragnar in a pouch. I don't know about a sugar glider. Oh my god, they're so cute. And then I, you just take them out, and then you go fly, and it goes, bloop. yeah, and it spreads itself like a magic carpet, and then it will go onto you, and you'd be like, oh, and you'd have a pouch too, but then it wouldn't want your pouch because it would be tight with me because we mm. bonded. Okay, so you know I'm into commitment and flying and bloop bloop eyeballs. Okay, should we talk to Emily? I love it when I say something and you're like, I have no follow-up to that. I, I, I do. I mean, the follow-up was, let's talk to Emily. Let's talk to Emily and let's see her thoughts about all of the things. All of the things. <laughs> Emily Habak has a BFA in theater from SMU's Meadows School of Arts, as well as master's degree from Vanderbilt University Divinity School and Vanderbilt's Peabody College. She grew up in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Sharkheart is her first, and might I add, 
fabulous novel. Emily Hobbeck, like Hobbit. We were just discussing, that- I have a, a highly mispronounced last name, which is why I always like to ask that, but I now realize I need to come up with a literary reference. Yeah, because people- Everybody uh, says Catherine's last name, Budig, B-U-D-I-G, which makes sense, uh-huh. but it's Budig. I'm like, Budig, like Ulysses. Oh, we're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice one. Yeah. Um, But we were so thrilled to be speaking with you. We know you're coming at us right now from Los Angeles. You're on your book tour. Uh, How are you? Let's just start with how are you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, um, I used to work in Los Angeles and film and TV development. And, you know, whenever you call someone, You'd be like, how are you? And they'd be like, oh, I'm living the dream, but kind of in a way where you think that they're maybe not. Um, <laughs> but I really feel that way. I feel like I'm living the dream. Um, I'm just like so grateful to be in this moment. And um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to share my work with the world like this all my life. And so I'm just really taking it all in. And it's really been a head spinning, just amazing time. You, you you hear, at least oh, I hear a lot of stories about, um, you know, actors who maybe they go to L.A. and then after a couple of years, they realize maybe they need to write their own material because it's not mm-hmm. just so easy to, like, go and, like, audition and get a job. Yeah. But uh, other people who are fiction writers, maybe they've always wanted to be a writer and they're kind of in that lane. For you, mm-hmm. I know you have a BFA and you've acted before, but you have also done other things in the industry. What has been your like lifelong arc with writing, wanting to write, being a writer, all of that? Oh, I love this question. Um, I just think it's always been a part of me. Um, we really want to go back. Like I remember one of some of my earliest memories is like um, watching on repeat uh, Peter Pan with Mary Martin. Um, I think I like broke the like recording that my mom did on TV. <laughs> and so I've just always loved the theatrical. And I grew up probably like you two did as storytellers, just like playing make-believe. Um, I think that there's that commonality of like this, pe- the people that want to tell stories in adulthood had these like huge imaginations as a kid. And I remember being really discerning in my friendships because there were, there were kids that played better. Definitely. That kind mm-hmm. of like, because I love that. like, like I had this um, one neighbor um, and I just remember just loving being with her because Whatever idea I had just totally worked and uh, we would go on these little adventures together. And um, so I think it really started there with just this kind of love um, for imagination and play. And um, as I grew up, I did a lot of theater and writing. Um, And then I went to college um, and got a BFA in acting. And I think it was I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I had a professor on like the last day of of undergrad like sit us down in our acting cohort and he was like some of you like won't like pursue this for life and that's okay um and you probably might hear that whisper right now that that person is not you and i did hear that whisper in that moment i remember that um and but i you know i moved to la and you know pursued acting for a couple of years um but i think i i knew that i just didn't have that love for the craft that it takes to survive as an actress um, and to persevere through so many different types of rejection and hurdles and things just completely out of your control. Um, 
And at the same time, I'd always loved to write. Writing sort of felt like my my secret art form, like the one that the, not my main art form, but the one I really loved doing. And so I probably, you know, I was in my early 20s. and It was a good time to wake up to that. Um, and also as an actress, I was really in my head. But the quality of being in your head as a writer is really great. Like it's 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 amazing to be able to kind of like both be in the psychology of the characters, but also thinking like, you know, 100 feet off the ground and also in the deeper metaphors. And so, um, yeah, the, the transition kind of happened. It was just like over one week, honestly. I'd been acting my whole life and I had um, an audition where I don't remember exactly what the casting director said, but it was something, it was some kind of comment about the character, how I wasn't right for the character. Um, but I, but I had heard it as I wasn't right for acting. And it was just like, thank you for permission. Mm-hmm. And I like, and I like went in, told my therapist and I was like, I'm done. And, uh, <laughs> and people around me were really surprised. What do you mean? You're not, a, you're not an actress. This is how I see you. You can't, you can't adapt. You can't be different. But I did. And I, had a bunch of different day jobs in Los Angeles and um, always, always was working on scripts on the side. And um, something that I think sparked this book, actually, if you spend a lot of time in, in Hollywood, you start to realize that everybody's cooking in the same stew. And what I mean by that is that the, all the ideas start to kind of like blur and taste the same. And, and, and yeah, and I think just being around this like kind of current of ideas led me to this belief that like nobody really knows what they're looking for um and they don't really know what they're looking for until they read it and so I should just write what I want to write and I I really want to touch upon the the concept of rejection that you brought Mm -hmm. up and how Mm -hmm. part of leaving theater and I have a theatrical background as well so I'm just kind of over here internally nodding my head the entire time I'm very curious about the experience. You say that you had to move away from theater partially Mm -hmm. because you couldn't handle the rejection. However, the rejection in the literary world and publishing and submission Mm -hmm. is a special kind of pain. Oh, my gosh. And we were emailing beforehand where I was asking you, would you be willing to share any passes? And I love what you said is that it's not so much about sharing the passes, but the people who never even took the time to respond, the silence. So I would love to hear about that silence and how it affected you and how you persevered. Oh, yeah. It's well, well, for one, I think I was kind of used to it from from my acting days. Um, And yeah, so I, I was I was definitely primed for it. But the whole thing of writing and at least for me, it's like being heard. And so there's this feeling of just like, okay, like, wow, I wrote this thing and um not hearing back from like 50 people and and that can be really daunting but I think because I'd had that past experience of just kind of expecting that um when I did start to receive passes or I don't even want to call them rejections because they were just so beautifully written Mm -hmm. um and at the time I felt like it was such a success where someone would say something nice about my work and then they would say why they couldn't represent it and whether that was you know like you know, them trying to let me down easy or they really meant it. It really did me a lot to me. Like I took screenshots of them. I just remember like um, saving, like I need to save this for a rainy day, like because just receiving an acknowledgement that I existed felt like 
such a success and you know in a weird way and i think that's just maybe what um what, what the creative industries do to artists where it's like oh great just like <laughs> the scarcity mindset of like they got something they wrote me back or um, and then at the same time, I've been on the other side. I worked as an assistant for an agent, a talent agent, and we received so many emails and it's just, you can't respond to everything. Um, and I think I still have a little, um, I don't know, lowercase, low, very, very lowercase T trauma from that because, because I just like reflexively want to respond to everybody. Um, Me too. And yeah, I feel, <laughs> I don't know. I think. Of like, oh, they're, they're going to feel bad if I don't respond. And um, so maybe that's my own boundary thing I have to work on. But um, <laughs> oh have, yeah, Same, yeah, I'm fine to not <laughs> respond. I, Kevin yeah. goes, like, you should respond more. I'm like, it's time. I'm like, I'm going to hurt them. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Let's talk about Shark Heart because I heard you on um, a podcast. Yes. Pop Women Fiction. That's yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's it. And I didn't, you know, having loved Shark Heart in one of the, <laughs> this, they bring up one of the, best scenes in the book trying not to do spoilers but it's on the beach when um you know the scene i'm talking about and you in the pop culture hour you had said that like that was the first scene you ever wrote and that it was i assume a standalone scene for a short amount of time maybe a long amount of time so Mm -hmm. two-part question here like what what was it in your mind that made you write that scene what did it look like and feel like to you why did you write it like why were you like i have to write this scene and um, what was the like how long and what was the next scene like what came out like it, what yeah. was the second scene you wrote yeah I love that question and it was like one of those I mean I'm sure you have these times where you're like writing feels so easy I love this like <laughs> yeah um it's gonna be like this forever and then it's mud for like you know months and months and that was one of those times where I was like wow like this just came to me with such clarity and um I think I was letting go of a lot um I had a little disenchant, a lot of disenchantment with what I thought the creative life was. And um, yeah, it was just a little, a little rundown, um, creatively speaking. And uh, I think, I don't remember what the next scene I wrote was, but I remember thinking that there was a short film because I was just thinking in this kind of film context. Um, But then I was just so interested in the inner lives of these characters and there's this interesting thing I realized in working on Shark Heart, and that's that the work that I did as an actor, um, like feeling in my head and having to understand like the emotional reality of of an of a character, like that inner life work really s- supports my my work as a writer too, because I almost have to play every character, and in some ways it's very dazzling. Like I don't have to like I can I can be in my sweatpants and I don't have to get in front of a stage and anybody to do this and and the revision process is so fantastic because as someone who is like in my head a lot and has conversations with people and then kind of replace them again and again and again that's a really wonderful quality for a writer because I could just keep rewriting things um and so yeah I think it really expanded out from there um and I think it was pretty pretty soon after that I knew that it wasn't a film that it was definitely a book and something that I wanted to explore I just think I learned a lot about writing and doing it. Um, I know there's a lot of great training out there. Um, a lot of like maybe the preparing to get ready to begin. Um, but I th- I think I learned a lot of, yeah, a lot about how to write through through doing this. And um, I think 
you know, people ask me a lot about the structure and the different forms and things like that. Um, and I didn't go to an MFA in, um, in writing program. And I think I kind of avoided that because I knew what, how I had felt leaving the BFA and acting program and feeling really in my head and like I knew too much. And so this is just so free because I was like, I don't know all the rules. And so <laughs> if I don't know them, then I don't know that I'm breaking them. Um, and if I didn't know the rules, I would definitely try to follow them because that's the kind of, <laughs> that's, that's part of what that I am made your story so refreshing. I mean, not only is the hook, I remember the day Kate's mom, my mother-in-law sent your book a link. It was a pre-order link to me. And I read the description and I was just like, what is this? I need to read it. It was just unlike anything I had heard before. But the actual structure of the book is so propulsive. And it's this really fascinating mix of, uh, you know, this theatrical structure, uh, very reminiscent of poetry, the way it's proposed. And then we get all these different perspectives and um, big reveals. Kate and I had to have a discussion about what we were okay asking questions because we don't want to spoil any of the big reveals. But I, and maybe you already answered this, when you were writing, so you didn't have a structure in mind. Were, were you inspired by the structure of plays or anything? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really, I love that feeling when you're in a play or a musical and the curtain falls. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, what was that? And then you like get up and walk around for a little bit and come back. And then there's this kind of new energy in the next act. And mm. yeah, I really, I really wanted to bring that feeling to a book. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I always knew that um, Ren's mother would have a big part in it. And I thought about how, like, could I weave this? Could I do like alternating chapters? And then one time I tried to just as an experiment, just like section a small part of the book off that way. And I hated it. It just felt like really disruptive. And maybe that's just my mind. Like I need one thing to focus on. Um, so I just was like, you know what? I'm, it's, I'm just going to connect these parts as as big chunks and um, and not do the alternating chapters, which is maybe what people expect a little bit in a book. I think that's sometimes how you can make multiple plot lines accessible. But for me, for this project, it just didn't feel right. Um, yeah. And I and I love also giving um, the characters in the second part and the third part like their own moment um, where I, someone compared it on Instagram recently to three connected novellas. And I for a while, I thought of it that way, too. And I had totally forgotten that. Um, and I am just also I have to say, I'm so grateful to my editor um, who never questioned the structure. It was just she was just like asked really great questions about how to enhance what's there. And we definitely cut part, parts out that didn't keep, there was like a character or two that, um, well, maybe my agent suggested that. I think it was my agent that suggested that. There was a character that just didn't, you know, add anything. And I, you know, happily cut that person out to make things happily? kind of- Happily, you, you happily. You happily cut your own words? Yeah. Well, I think part <laughs> of it is I don't have, um, I don't have like a group of writers that I send things to. Yeah. And so when I find someone that I trust and they illuminate something that I agree with, I'm like, thank God. Yeah. So that she was God. illuminating, she they were illuminating something that you kind of knew deep down. Yeah. About and that I just character. Need permission. You yeah. know, it's just, and sometimes it just feels like, oh gosh, what a wait. Like I was kind of keeping it because I had written it. Yeah. And it, yeah. And I, and I thought it was well written, but did it work? No. 
and sometimes I just need permission. Yeah. Um, of like what's in service of the work. Um, and again, my goal is to be published. So I was like, if my agent thinks that this yeah. is this is um this is this needs to go and I also agree with her, then um yeah, I will happily I let it happily. go. Deep respect. And, yeah. And also like I think it did um it was kind of a relationship between two two girls and um like a like a girlhood friendship and and a, and a new project I'm working on, that relationship, kind of that kind of same energy came up again, mm. and it also needed to be cut. And so those two instances have revealed to me that, that not now, but at some future point, like mm. there's something about like child girlhood friendships that's really interesting to me. Okay. And so I think I'm just paying attention to that. And yeah. In, in noticing that that's there, but doesn't work in any of the things I'm writing right now. <laughs> Maybe it needs to be the center of the book and not the side story of the book. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So that was just illuminating to me. Sure. But so much of writing is just kind of paying attention to what I'm obsessed with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, it's so interesting as you, the more you write, the more you can make those cuts yourself as you yes, go along. Absolutely. But when you're not in the beginning for the first time or like yeah. you know you the second somebody says it you're like okay in a few years i'm gonna have been able to know that myself and act on it yeah but in the beginning you need someone else to say it um so you, you I, one thing i wanted to follow up on is you would you know in with your background in acting you you mentioned that that background was helpful because you could embody the characters and probably write their emotions well was there anything yeah. about your acting theatrical background that you felt like was a hurdle in the writing process? Well, that's such a great <laughs> question. Let me think for a second. No, I don't think any of it has been a hurdle, actually. It's been such a gift. And I, I think there was that time in this process of writing this book or, you know, becoming an author and the grand arc of things where I might have thought like, oh, I have this training and this experience, but I don't use it anymore. Um, but the amazing part about, um, you know, having practiced that kind of ability to imagine another person's emotional reality is that I don't have to have experienced any of the things that my characters have. Um, and I think that's a question I get a lot, like, you know, have I lost a parent or a partner or, you know, like transformed into a shark? Yeah. <laughs> I had a traumatic loss and um yeah it's a shark in the real or metaphorical sense yeah. um and the answer is like not not no like I haven't had those moments and I know my editor said this and and in a meeting once and I kind of just like I was like oh god you're right but she was like that's part of being that's kind of the deal like when we are when we are born and when we love we um risk losing and if everything goes well, like we will lose people that we love. And just and I think that is the core thing that I feel all the time, this sort of existential um, anxiety around just wanting to make the most with the people that I love in my life and um, just really struggle with change. Um, I just grieve things that um, most people probably don't grieve. Um just like this little switch of, and I live in New England right now. And um, yeah, the, just the way that summer, like day by day, like gradually ticks into fall. And I have this feeling of like, did I do all the things? Did I like have the summer that I meant to, that I was meant to have? Like, how do I be in this moment and like soak it up more? And, um, and I, and the main character has this 
I don't think this is a, a spoiler. It's but she has loses her mom in this very particular way, and I think I I am afraid of losing my mom. Like I love my mom so much, and she's one of the most important relationships of my life. And I, yeah, I can't imagine my life without her. And so that piece like really scares me sometimes. Like, and I I think about that, and like that might be. You know, like I said, if everything goes well and I have a long life, that'll be something that I face. And it's even just like hard to say it right now, like that, that, that that's something that I think about. And then I know it's remedied by being present and taking or part. writing a book about it yeah. or writing a book about it, you know, <laughs> and, and um, yeah, I really have to remind myself to just be a part of the tactile experiences of life and, um, smell the smells and taste the tastes and and that kind of pulls me out of that kind of kind of spiraling sometimes when I start to feel that life is so short. So you mentioned you originally wrote this thinking it was going to be a short film. And every time I read a novel and I love it, I always envision what it would be like as my favorite TV show or a movie. Yeah. yeah. So please tell me that you have thought about how this would transfer onto the screen. I was trying to envision this transformation oh. of him slowly morphing into a great white. Okay. No? No, this is all part of the question. Now that you've said that, I just need to say that Lewis to me is Jason Siegel. And I don't know why. Jason Siegel. Okay. I love that idea. Yeah, I can totally see it. Okay. I don't know if that is like, if that is anywhere near who Lewis is when you were writing him. But, yeah. you know, Catherine and I talk a lot about like when you're describing a character we don't want to give that many descriptions when we're writing fiction because you don't want to, you want to give like a shading of them so that yeah, everyone else totally. can fill them in. So mm-hmm. I don't know, Jason Siegel. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but like onto the film version of this, tell me it's been optioned. <laughs> well, no. well, nothing can happen because there's a writer's strike. Yeah. Um, oh, that's true. Which I is unfortunate, about that. but there has been some interest, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm curious what you think as a writer, but I, what, I don't imagine faces when I'm working. I kind of like, I imagine their spirit almost just like an energy, but I don't like think about like after like the Harry Potter movies came out, I remember like, oh, now when I read the books, I see Dan Radcliffe. You of course. Know? Yeah. Um, but like, so I'm, I'm just so interested in how the mind works in that way. Do you guys see like, um, I can read whole books and not see someone's face when I'm reading yeah. something. And, and, Kate, actually, I was reading a draft of a new novel that she's working on, and she was actually a little upset when she's like, who who do you think would play this? Tell me, tell me, tell me, really? who do you think? I'm like, well, not 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 who do you think would play it, but like, I do, what do they, I do the they in photos like? in Scribner uh-huh. of my character, just like an inspiration photo. Oh, cool. And I pin a photo, whether it's an actor or like just somebody that, that I saw. And yeah. so I had somebody in mind, and I was like, so... For so-and-so, who did you picture? And, she, and then see, Catherine said, go ahead. I didn't picture anyone because I don't, that's not the kind of reader that I am. I don't yeah. get vivid features. It's, I'm like you, it's more of an essence and energy that each character yeah. gives me. And, and it's maybe morphing a little bit for me as I read the story. But I, yeah. I'm unattached. I don't, I was actually just talking to, um, a woman who does cover art and logos mm-hmm. for a living. And she said that she always strays from, she doesn't like it when people put actual character sketches, whether mm-hmm. it's cartoon or 
some concept of what the main character looks like because then you're stripping that from the reader, like their yeah. ability to build or or infuse them in the characters. And I think a lot of people like to see themselves in different characters, like play the different parts while they're yeah. reading it as well. I, I'm the same way. Okay, I'll get back to the film question, but I've never asked anybody this, but I'm curious to see what you think. When I am reading a book and imagining, like, let's say it takes place in a house, there are like three sets that my brain has. Oh. Like I have, like I, I go to the same house every time. And it's like oh. my neighbor's house growing up. Um, like, yeah, huh. like places in my mind, but they're not different houses. Like it's like, okay, we're we're at this set right, right. now. Right, right. Do you guys have uh, that, or do you, you imagine places in your in your lived experience? No, no, my that's not how my brain works. It's it's very that's so interesting. Though. Yeah, it. But I, I, I'm never picturing like a house I have lived in or seen or known. Yeah. Um, I do have dream sets, like dream houses yeah. that I always return to that I've never been to in real life, but they exist in my wow. dreamland. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. That feels like some past life stuff coming up. Wow. But I've so only, you see different places. I know certain landscapes own that only wow. belong in my dreams. Wow. Consciousness is so amazing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. E special. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I feel so boring. I'm like, well, we have our medium house set. And that's we have right. Our- <laughs> Chick, it's the third in my list of three that I use. <laughs> It's like, it's like Sims. Or did you ever play that? Oh, yeah. I didn't um, grow up. Oh, yeah. 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 I was just like, okay, like pick your house. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> change the roof, you know, put a palm tree in front. Um, But yeah, like I think with imagining characters, though, like you definitely see different things when you see the man becoming a shark. And um, oh, my gosh, it, it, it was wild. Yeah. I, I, I have, oh, yeah. I've that actually, was the question. I, felt, if they were going to yeah, do it in film. I know. Oh, I do. Somebody would win an Oscar for best makeup. Absolutely. There's oh, no yeah. way they couldn't. I'm like yeah. having an epiphany right now because like I think when I was imagining Lou, like as I physically imagined the character, I was in his inner life. Like I was in how he was feeling about it. Um, yeah. And the outside details were less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely wrote them there. But I think that's what know? made it work. Yeah, because that was my biggest hiccup when I read the description. I was like, "How is she? How is she going to have a human transform into a shark?" We and and there we go. It's because you focused on the internal yeah, what he was going I just, through emotionally. I just put that together. Yeah, whoever whoever plays it, Jason Siegel. you know, in the <laughs> film, Jason Siegel will have to like work from this is like actor speak from the outside in. Like mm-hmm. I think if like eighty percent of the work is done by the actor like into transforming his own body like through like just physicality and interesting choices and then mm-hmm. you know the makeup or the cgi on top of that only enhances that i think yeah. the audience will believe it it's like yeah. if they feel it if they feel and i, d- I don't think i imagine it also as completely literal like like it, yeah like I, I i imagine that he's mostly human looking but just in the way that someone really ill starts to change into something yeah. else. Or the description like, of his skin, how if you ran your yeah, hand the wrong like way. He, that was so if great. If he just looks a little gray or, you know, his like neck starts to disappear. I can't, you know, I can kind of do it like this. But it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, I don't imagine it totally literal in that way. But by the end, I mean, th- there are some parts that are easy. Like he's got a tail like a merman, you know, and yeah. And yeah. Fin on his back. Lounging on the tub, getting angry. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. So if you found you just got your diagnosis 
that you were going to morph yes into some creature yes. what is the absolute number one creature that you would want to morph into and what is the last lowest thing on the list that you would want to morph into if it could be a short term um morph i will i'll play this game if it could okay. be like okay. for a, if it could be for a day um okay well there's two things that come to mind for the what i would want to be um but first i want to be a honeybee because <laughs> i just think it'll, it'd be so nice just to drink nectar i guess is that what they do and and fly around and be i want to know how the colony works because they want to pollen on their thighs, you know, yeah. that they collect like little leg warmers. Yeah. I will write the Seeger Life Bees part two. <laughs> Sue will love that. <laughs> yeah. And then, then maybe like a, a golden doodle would be nice. Just yeah. Yeah. got the good life. Speaking of, can you see our little pup in the background? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's snoozing right behind us. So cute. I'd, I'd turn into life. a little, little pug mutt. Yeah. That's oh great. Uh, is and there a, a, definitely a, not? Not. Like, I just keep going. I don't know. I'm thinking to like a daily nuisance in my life, which is mosquitoes this yeah. time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Mosquitoes. Just to be a be parasite. A, yeah. a parasite. Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't know. I guess if you are the animal, you don't think you're that bad, probably. No, no. no. Um, if it's the only if, thing you know, but coming from human form, that's, yeah. That's yeah. rough. That's yeah. rough. And what the transformation you? into a mosquito. Oh, that would yeah. be rough. That would be f- rough. Yeah. You could, I would you be can a bird. Fly. Oh I, yeah, I would be like an eagle or something like that. Um, that's that's great. Yeah, and then any kind of snake is a no for me. Oh me. yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like I would really enjoy the mobility of that experience. Okay, so yeah. you want to be a snake? That's cool. I mean, it, it definitely isn't my number one. But the more I think about it, I mean, think yeah. about the hugs I could give. Hugs is that I what we're calling them? Such a lover. Yeah. <laughs> You don't have to be a venomous snake. You could be just a, a cuddly you know, gar- one. A just garden a snake. Just boa one. Yeah, I just like to give bear hugs or boa hugs. All right. I think I think that does it for this chunk of the interview. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. just too excited for the bonus content. There is some yeah. bonus content, and if you're listening, you can head over to the Inky Phoenix Bindery page, and we'll have all that information to listen to Emily read her query letter yes. for Shark Heart. But thank you, Emily. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. That was Emily Habeck, Shark Heart, a love story. And listen, if you like to be in on things early, if you're the person who wants to be telling other people about something before it is popping in the zeitgeist, I think it's your moment. Because Shark Heart is kind of tiptoeing or whatever it is, swimming toward... It is swimming toward is the bestseller list. Nonstop, because that's what sharks do. Yeah. But you can get in early now. So I am a sugar glider. Pick it up, read it, and also join Inky Phoenix Press because they're publishing books. And and just as a side note, also, y'all who have been with us for a long time, we used to have a Patreon and that was the way you can support us, keep us ad free, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Um, we got rid of the Patreon, and this is how you can support us now. So if you love the podcast, and maybe you're not interested in the club, but I think you'll get interested because it's really cool and fun and interactive and interesting. Just visit inkyphoenix.binderybooks.com. Once again, that's inkyphoenix.binderybooks.com. You can join us at a $5, $12, or $25 tier, and you will get extra free cookies, bonus content there. That is where you're going to hear Emily read her query letter. Oh, yeah, and it's juicy. 
and it's interesting. That'll be posted on the Inky Phoenix Bindery feed. So please check us out, inkyphoenix.binderybooks.com. All right. I don't and we are produced work. by... Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about show credits. Producer. And he's kind of fabulous. Yes. Like, All right. And when I say kind of fabulous, I've been working with him. He's been my graphic designer for House of Phoenix from the very beginner. He beginner. A beginner. He hails from Northern Ireland. And he is Stephen Johnson. <laughs> All right. I love him. I know. Papa Hopper. Yeah, pop, thanks, pop. Steven. He's a great producer. So thanks for helping us make free cookies. The reboot. The reboot. We back. <laughs>